my daughter sleeping in the next room. Good morning, everybody. I believe we are live. I've done this once before, Lucien, and uh, and at the one time I went about 45 minutes and I didn't press go live. So <laughs> if we could get some uh, some feedback from the hollers in the chat. Good morning from Phoenix. I'm here with uh, FPL underscore teacher, my good friend Lucien. How are you? Where are you? What time is it? It is 11.50 p.m. <coughs> so it's nearly midnight on a Saturday here in Malaysia. And you know what? I am more than delighted to do this with you, man. Like, you know, this is like the perfect time to do it. Pressure is off. You know, you're likely to like have one last push for a big green arrow, right? The one last chance to net that haul. Can't wait. Cannot wait. Yes, and, and on that front, we are net that haul, of course. Um, you are on our, on our live live channel, our last show of the regular season. We may do a wrap-up up show with uh, when uh, Nima and Mariner get back. Mariner is on vacation with the family. Well-deserved. Um, hope they're enjoying themselves. He may be in the chat uh, tonight. We'll see. And Nima is like in the opposite of a vacation. He's being hammered at work with his new job, and he has a bunch of things to catch up on. So um, just uh, just remember to uh, to like us um, down at the bottom. Hit subscribe. Hit the bell for notifications. Become a member. We have I think about a dozen members. I apologize to our members. We shout them out every week, but. Um, I'm, I'm not really known for preparation, <laughs> Lucian, and, and I don't have the list in front of me, so apologies. There's Nehal. Nehal's, Nehal's a member. So if you, if you guys come in here and you join, if you, you join the chat, I will shout you out. So um, just to uh, take care of the little housekeeping before we get to business here, uh, Lucian, I want to say hi to, we always say hi to our friends here in the chat. We do have several people waiting, and I think everybody has liked already, so thank you for liking the, the stream. Um, we have Blue Danube guy, first first one in. Good afternoon to you on your side of the world. Um, who else is in here? S1 says hello from Japan. I don't know what time it is in Japan right now. Do you know what time it is in Japan? It's nighttime. Yeah, for I sure. think they are one hour ahead of us, so it is like past midnight oh, over there. So it's past midnight. Um, they're probably getting back from somewhere, hopefully. Akib, Akib is in the house as well. Hello, Akib. Yeah, nice to see you. Like, Akib is like one of the nicest guys on FPL, period. You know? Absolutely. Yeah, and like, you want a genuine soul? Speak to Akit, man. I'm so grateful. Yeah, so a genuine soul is a great way to describe him. Speaking of genuine souls, we have our friend Javed Khan from from the island of Trinidad. A good friend of ours joining us. And Nehal, of course, we mentioned a member, always active, always in here. Nice to see you again, Nehal. Um, And there's Mike Halpin joining us. Um, a, a gunner commiserations. Well, we'll see. There, I guess there's still something to hope for. Maybe it's a good thing Spurs can possibly be Spurs. Um, but yeah, why don't we move on right onto the mini league here as we're three minutes into the stream? Um, nice to see everybody. We'll be co- we're going to be covering things a little bit differently today, I think, Lucien, because you and I work a little differently. Um, we talk a lot um, about FPL, less so recently, but um, but we're going to get pretty deep today, I think. Yeah, I cannot wait. I mean, it's always nice to have um, two, you know, genuine eye test people. You know, I, I, I very rarely get to call you coach in this setting because, hmm. 
yeah, you know, I, I can formally recognize you as someone who has a more trained eye test than I do. So I'm really glad. I'm, it's a very humbling experience and I cannot wait. Well, I'm humbled by those words as well. And then one last shout out. Blue Nix has joined us. What up, dude? Um, and here we go. Let's, let's check out the mini league and what's going on in there. There we go. Here's our mini league. Um, so this is last, last updated last night. Um, I I haven't gone back and looked at it today, but look at. Well, you know what? I'm gonna start at the bottom again because shout out to Nima. Nima's hanging on to top ten, which which is great. It's nice to see two of two of the uh, net that hall hosts in the top ten here. Um, hell of a season for them. Um, so Nima's in at ten. He, he's on a 76 this week. Brad Curry drops to ninth. Pfizer Chiefs um, at 50 points. This one hurts. I'm really sad to see Obay 8, FPL underscore Milanista, drop down to 8th after really holding first place for so many game weeks this season. It's kind of been between him and Mariner in the past 10 game weeks or so. And he's had a precipitous drop to 8th. With it, you know, with the, I guess the 60 this week is, is not great compared to some of the other scores. Um, <clears throat> we have... Uh, Champions FC, Bagus Imanda with 69 points and 7. Safeguards with Khaled Badake, uh, 98 points this week. He jumps up to 6, or she, I don't know, uh, jumps up to 6th place. In 5th place, we have Tom Robinson with Tier Tierney's Tesco bag. Uh, he's got 71 points this week. Stefan F, and that's what she said backwards and upside down. It jumps up to 4th and 80 with 82 points this week. Now we're heading into the top three, and this is one of my favorites, Doni, our good friend Doni, Doni's Duds, Donal Hannigan, 73 points, jumping up to third place. Chris, um, here's Mariner's team, the Brothers Grimsby, 75, a very respectable 75 points, and it just shows how tough the slog is up there. 75 points, and he drops down to second place. But because of this one, Tider Red again with Template FC, 105 points, hitting the century mark up to 26.78 on the season. Jumps up to first, I think, for the first time this season. So we'll see everything to play for in the final game week. Um, let's see. <laughs> we got, we got a, a keep saying that I'm getting my Pablo Sabaleta look again. Um, I, I don't know if that's a compliment or an insult, but I'll, I'll take it as a little bit of both. How about that? <laughs> um, and, well, the next section here... Um, my good friend Lucien is. This will be my section, and we're, this is the final FPL philosophy of the week um, for game week 38. And apologies, that says mini league game week after game week 37. So for game week 38, heading into the philosophy of the week. It's a quote by one of my fa favorite authors. Um, he's just witty and funny and lighthearted and deep. And his name is Douglas Adams. And he wrote, it's not the fall that kills you. It's the sudden stop at the end. And this is like a, a nod to the, to the suddenness um, of the end of the season, right? Where, where, you know, we spent the whole season, well, I, I have, I spent most of the season kind of lamenting my red arrows and, and thinking like, oh, just kind of the, just thinking that I wish my fortune was different. I wish my fate was different this week. You know, when I have these red arrows, and I'm thinking that, okay, that's, you know, how many times have we gone on social media and people have had a bad game week, um, especially in those very pivotal, I think we were talking about this yesterday, Lucien, those game weeks where, like, they're very swingy, the, um, the, 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 
the people at Captain Havertz versus Norwich and instead of Salah, for example. You mentioned a couple other examples last night. In those game weeks where we're lamenting our fortune, and then the way, I just want us to reflect on the way we feel at the end of the season where the, such a big part of our life is missing, and that's what really kills us. And then, then we start missing the falls. We're like, I wish I could feel that fall, again, even if it is that fall, just to feel something, right? Um, so all I'll say is whether red arrow or green arrow, enjoy, enjoy the movement. Uh, movement creates space. doesn't matter which way you're moving. You're going to get something out of it in the end. Um, even if it's not what you most desire, which is rank. I don't know. What are your thoughts? I think, yeah, when everything stops, people ask what next, you know. I can imagine some FPL players already having plans to go to the beach. You know, I can imagine like content creators who have worked so hard to produce two to three videos per week, right? They, they, they know where they're going to go. I'm on and the beach. I've been on the beach for weeks, right? my friend. Yeah. <laughs> I'm surfing. <laughs> So I, I feel that for everyone else, yeah, I think uh, part of it is missing that euphoria of sharing your team. I think what I would remember this season by is how much FPL, Twitter especially, got together and, you know, people have the opportunity to share their highs and lows. And it's we're going to miss that. We're really going to miss that because yeah. uh, I think it was just after game week 37 I opened my Twitter app on Friday morning and immediately I think I saw screenshots of overall rank number 1, number 3, number 5 and number 10 all in my timeline, like 4 consecutive posts in a row, mm. you know, like like this season will be remembered for that where everyone really got clued in and connected together and we're going to miss that, you know, yeah. we're going to miss that. Yeah, yeah I, I agree sharing. with you. Um, so a, a couple of things from the chat. We have a uh, member Nehal ask me to say Pablo Sabaleta again in that beautiful accent. So I'll say Pablo Sabaleta again, again. So there's a, there's twice for you, Nehal. Thank you for being a member, my friend. Um, S1 asking Hitchhikers. Yes, Douglas Adams is did write Hitchhikers Guide to the Galaxy. That's where this is from. Um, I believe this quote comes from the scene where the 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 the, the whale is falling out of the sky. I don't know if you remember that scene um, yeah. when they're about to go to the to the the torture the, the the greatest torture on earth shows you how small you are in existence. Right. So when they're heading towards that, that's that's that scene. Um, and we have uh, our very own Mariners in the chat. He said he can't hear us because he's in a bar. No surprise there. Um, but he's uh, he does say hi from Dubai. Um, well, that's that's the final philosophy uh, of the week. Um, and oh, that, yeah, yeah. yeah, we should shout out Rabadaki as well. We're gonna miss his spaces so much. Rabadaki, if you're there, still in the chat, please, like, you know, keep hosting spaces. It doesn't have to be about FPL, but you know, just host spaces, man. It's nice talking to you, and I think it would be less stressful if we were to talk about something that's not FPL. Hmm, that's interesting, right? It, it, it would be it could be less stressful to talk about things that aren't FPL, but it could be more stressful as well. There's been some some vitriol on on Twitter recently. I think kind of um, equal rights clashing with uh, freedom of speech and clashing with religious freedom and all of this stuff. I won't get into it here because this this show would be about three hours if I did. Um, but I may post something about it because I have had conversations with people on all sides here and I'd like to share what I've learned. So, But 
enough of that. Let's get right into the FDR. Here we are, FDR for game week 38, courtesy of Mariner. Now these numbers are prior to yesterday's game. Uh, Mariner, obviously, he's a he's on vacation in Dubai, so um, so he was he was gracious enough to get these numbers in, but um, but yesterday's games came too late for us to update our tables. So um, so we're gonna go with that. We have a picture of Eddie Nketiah, of course, um, here in the FDR because. We're looking here, there's no more long range FDR, it's just a single game week, it's kind of nice, we have like a, just like a simple simple 10, 10 matches, really simple, one day, final game week of the season, and the reason Eddie and Ketch is here is because Arsenal have, according to Mariner's numbers here, the, the, the best FDR uh, for attack this, this game week with 3.7. The next closest for reference is City, home, home to Villa, at 2.2, so we we see what a what a disparity it is in in, in um and how good Arsenal's matchup is. What are you seeing here? Well, I mean, it is an Arsenal that need a win at the very least, and you know it's an Everton that can finally put their foot off the gas. <laughs> so, you know, I think the narrative matches the number this time round. I think the question comes down to what happens after Arsenal takes the lead. You know. I don't see Arsenal having any reason to extend the lead because three points is as good as they can do, right? So, yeah, uh, I do feel that they'll get a goal, but the question comes down to what you think Arsenal will do after the goal. So, that's where I find Arsenal kind of break down because hmm. uh, with Nketiah on the side, right, he's a poacher instead of Lacazette who prioritizes setting other players up. So, in that sense, yeah, um, Arsenal have capitalized on mistakes of their opponents all this while with their high pressing and you know Nketiah's youth so yeah uh, will they do the same to Everton yes no maybe hard to say I mean for me I feel that Everton is a safety first you know when they play out from the back so I can't foresee they I can't foresee them conceding that many errors compared to the previous games hmm I'm going to take the alternative view here, uh, Lucien. Um, I'm sure it'll come as to no surprise that I think now that Everton are safe, I think Lampard has had his moment. He has, and full credit to Lampard. I mean, what he, I guess, he lacks in tactical acumen. But what he's done to this team is he's changed the culture. And it started with the Merseyside derby, a game which they lost. A game which they were criticized for heavily because of their the shithousery, because of all of the things they did on the pitch. It, it was a Jordan uh, Jordan Pickford that was transformed, I think, and and he's even changed the fans. And and I think it's it's the cultural shift in Everton that has saved them. Um, and I think they've used all of their psychic energy. I'm I'm going to postulate that. And I think Arsenal they're on the other side of that. They just got shut out. Newcastle just shut them out. 2 0. When they, I mean, even a point would have done them well, right? Um, and while I think what Arteta is building at Arsenal is actually really interesting and extremely promising, um, to go out with a whimper, I think, would be quite damaging to them, um, to that young team. So I think Arsenal is actually going to come out firing here and and I think Everton's not going to have anything left and, and Arsenal's going to overrun them I wouldn't be surprised if Arsenal score four in a statement match 
Um, so I'm, I'm actually, I, I love the, the, the Nkatia call. Um, and I like it, I like, I prefer Nkatia to Saka in this game. If I, were, if I were to choose one to get more points, I would actually choose Nkatia. Um, and, and well, we, we, can, I'll, I'll, we, can, we can talk about more of, the, uh, of that later when we get to the zonal matchups and, and some more granular things. Um, let's see. We have, uh, just really quickly, another member. Here's Dread. Dread's in the house. Hey, hey buddy. Good to see you in here. Um, so, let's see. Next one. What, what do you want to talk about next, Lucian? What, what stands out here to you? We can go in many different directions here. We can go um, some tricky matchups. We can go something that's misleading. You want to talk about Brentford Leeds. You want to go into Leicester. What do you see? I like the look of Brentford Leeds hmm. because... <coughs> I, I, at least in my opinion, the numbers lie um, because your metric here says that they have a 1.5 favorability against Leeds. And what I find is that um, Leeds, they have two different mentalities when they play sites that are better than them versus when they play sites that are on par with them. So, uh, you know, credit to Jesse Marsh. I think um, he's made Leeds more practical in the sense that uh, he chooses which battles he wants to win, hmm. you know, and he just provides, you know, media sound bites for the press when he plays against big teams. So, yeah, I mean, would I fancy a Brentford defender to get a clean sheet against Leeds United who are desperate for a win? Yes, no, maybe. Um, still, uh, I find it really fascinating because I think Brentford has, Brentford themselves have gone under the radar for very long because of the lack of double game weeks, right? So, yeah, I think that's worth talking about. We should talk about that more often. Yeah, so, you know, for the podcast listeners, we have Brentford against Leeds at um, 0.6 for attack FDR, 1.5 for defense FDR. And I think I agree with you. I think the numbers are lying a little bit or or are at least not making much sense. If we look at, um, I mean... I don't know if I agree with you that Jesse Marsh will is picking his battles. I he seems I I I think he's I think he needs more time. I think the the team is showing some just less craziness, right? Um, and and maybe some more organization. But defensively, it hasn't really translated to really like any kind of improvement, right? Like if we're looking at the last four matches, Leeds have conceded the most shots in the box, 52 shots in the box in the, in the last four. Um, they have the second most shots on target conceded. Um, they have the second the shots on target conceded. They have 24. The second most big chances conceded with 12 in the last four. So you're conceding three big chances um, per match. You're conceding what um, about eight shots or six, six to eight shots in the box per match. I, I don't see like. Um, I, I I think there's a there's a fundamental flaw. I think this this team needs to be rebuilt. Um, a, a lot of people are saying that, that they hope Leeds stay up. I hope Leeds stay up just because I want Burnley to go down, but I don't think Leeds are really ready to stay up. I think they, they need one season to rebuild, um, un, unfortunately, because they, they kind of both deserve to go. So I think this is a good opportunity for Brentford to finish strong at home. Um, Thomas Frank, obviously contender for, for manager of the year, and, and deservedly so. Um, I, I think those those poor defensive numbers for Leeds really 
really speak to, to the, like an opportunity here. Um, but we do have some more information on that. So let, let's take a look. We'll go forward and then we'll come back to the FDR. Let's look at this this matchup a little more closely, as uh, as I think there there are a couple of options here. We're looking at um, certainly Tony is an option to bring him for Brentford. So let's check it out. Whoops. So start here um, for the podcast listeners. We have three graphics on on the screen. Um, the first one is what is that? That's uh, <laughs> I can't even see it. Oh, it's it's the touch heat map for two players. We're looking at Tony. He's a 6.8 million um, forward. And is it is it Wisa? Is it Visa? It's Wisa. Yeah. It's Wisa. Okay, I haven't. I didn't look up his pronunciation. 5.7 million. Uh, 5.7 million midfielder, right? And in the touches heat map, it's interesting. Um, the touches heat map on the left. The reason I, I brought this one up is because we see Wisa kind of um, he's on the left. He's on the left side, and he touches the ball kind of uh, in his own half, and then all the way up the wing, all the way to the center of the box. You can kind of like trace that line up the left flank that curves inside. Almost like what you would you would expect a sun sun's touch map to look like, except sun probably wouldn't get so deep. Um, and then, but in it's like it's heavy deep in, in his half, and then it's heavy again um, towards the box. And in the the more scattered area in the middle, that's where Tony is drifting into. So Wisa and Tony seem to be have have an interplay there on that left flank. I think I think that's where that's where um, Brentford's going to focus their attack. On, on that left flank with both of these players, with Tony and Wisa. But then in the image on the right, um, it's the X, XG um, shot map. And and we just see Wisa's getting the better opportunities. Not just more opportunities, but better. And I wonder if that's, um, and I haven't watched much of Brentford, so I can't verify this in the eye test. Maybe you can, Lucien. Um, I wonder if, if Tony is pulling defenders and Wisa is getting around the defenders that Tony is pulling and getting the better opportunities. Um, why don't you, I don't know, maybe comment on that and then you can explain the, the, the image of the graphic here in the middle. Well, we've, talked, we've been talking about Brentford since game week one because hmm. of how Thomas Frank sets his team up. And the good news is that he's not changed his main philosophy of building the ball on the right side, sending a long diagonal to the left that favours Tony. And, you know, he, he builds off that momentum he builds off that advantage um, because as you've mentioned Tony does link up with his forwards on the left I think what's different between uh, what's different now compared to game week one is that Mbomo is now permanently stationed on the right side instead of being a second striker I think mm. that's significant because um, that in turn has allowed the three central midfielders Jensen Ericsson and your knelt, if I'm not mistaken, mm -hmm. to push forward. So, um, here's the thing about Brentford. Um, because Brentford are so control-oriented, they do not want to be pressed. Or at least, they've devised ways so that teams that try to press them will not be able to press them. So, um, the first avenue is the long ball. Mm -hmm. And Brentford do that very well because you know they have that favourite right-to-left diagonal that you see here and this is where um, Wisa combines with Tony very well now um, another significant change is that Brentford now has two players on the wings instead of one 
Um, so when they started the season, they played a three-five-two with one wing back, which was Henry, I believe, on the left. And now they shifted to a four-five-one. So they have one fullback, one winger, and they have Tony drifting over to the left side, which is why they've you know relied extremely heavily on these um, interplays in the final third. So that's what's changed. And what we noticed, or at least what I've noticed in the last game, uh, do you remember who Brentford played last game? I think it was. I, I can look it up yeah. real quick. Um, I don't remember off the top of my head. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, so what happened last game was that Tony actually still plays on the shoulders of the last defender. He still does that. Um, he just has the freedom to choose from the half space between centre, back and full back, he can choose which way he wants to drift. He can pull out wide and link up with Risa, or he can make a diagonal run into the penalty box to shoot himself. So this, I feel, creates a lot of pressure against Leeds. So the thing about Leeds, right, is that um, they like to rush teams. Not in the same way Bielsa does it, because Brent- Bielsa does it man-to-man. Brentford beat but, um, Everton 3-2. Ah, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was against Everton. So um, what happened with Leeds is that instead of pressing man-for-man, they now press as a group. So mm. what happened was that um, when you look at Leeds' numbers against teams around them in the table, you will notice that they only allow opponents six passes around on average, mm. six passes before they try and stick a foot in and win the ball back. And that is like way, way lower than the league average. So, um, Jesse Marsh, in that sense, really affords space behind him. And so what we noticed was that, you know, we have this graphic here in the center that shows how Leeds sustains pressure against teams around them. So uh, I've compiled this graphic here of Leeds against Norwich, Leeds against Southampton, Leeds against Watford, and Leeds against Brighton. So, uh, for the listeners, this graph here is what, uh, you know, I want you guys to imagine like a bar chart where, you know, sometimes it swings towards Leeds, sometimes it swings towards Leeds opponents. And <clears throat> in all four matches here, it swings back and forth. So Leeds would have a lot of the ball and then they would score and then, you know, their opponents would have a lot of the ball. And that's that's a thing. That's a thing that Leeds consistently does. They are more than happy to attempt to outshoot their opponents so that Leeds themselves have chances, their opponents themselves have chances and they'll try and get a result from it. So um, this philosophy I find is fascinating because usually you would try and do a shootout against teams stronger than you. You know, and you would try to control teams that are weaker than you. Hmm. But Jesse Marsh is doing the opposite. He's trying to, you know, have a big shootout with teams that are around his strength. So I think the XG of Leeds against Brighton ended up like two point something to two point something. Mm-hmm. It was crazy. Like that last game, Leeds versus Brighton, both sides had so many chances. It was mad. So um, after watching the Leeds Brighton game, the biggest culprit is very obvious: the space that Calvin Phillips and Matthias Click has to cover in central midfield is absolutely massive. So, would you like to move on to the next slide? Yeah. Yeah. 
Okay, so um, the reason we're analyzing leads here is because everyone's looking for a differential, right? You know, for game week 38, and we are basically looking for the big hauls. So I'm sure everyone's looking at, you know, trying to sell Salah for Sun or something like that. And I think quite a number of us would be targeting premium players to bring in as well. So, you know, if, you, if you're targeting premium players to bring in, you need enablers. And this matchup against Leeds basically, you know, provides the platform where you can buy Brentford players to bring in against Leeds. So, um, this Leeds setup here, right, I've only included defense and the midfield. And right now for the listeners, Leeds are set up in two rows of four. And so there's this there's this massive space in central midfield where Phillips and Click were basically surrounded by five players. Welbeck, McAllister, Pascal Grob, Moises Casado, and Yves Bisuma. So throughout the first half, if you watch that game, <laughs> those five players ran circles around these two players. It was absolutely hilarious. Like Philip didn't know whether to stay in line with his midfield or come out because if Phillips went out, there was a big hole in the middle and Wellback would have a one-on-one. -on -one. And then there were times where Phillips and Click were basically on the same line as their defense. And yeah, Macedo basically got his goal that way. So um, that for me is, you know, ripe for the picking. And if you can figure out which central midfielder will drift into that spot and take advantage for Brentford. I know for sure that's a haul right there. So for me, based on what I've seen, uh, I feel that Yanel is actually the big beneficiary of this tactical openness, so to speak. Interesting. But yeah, Tony's gonna be that, you know, well he's gonna be in that well back position in between yeah. two centre backs and yeah, I am very sure that he will benefit equally. So, so that, I, this, this is a good explanation why, you know, these um, late-running central midfielders have done well against Leeds all season. What's, what confuses me is why don't they do something about it? Why, wh why leave these two in so much space when ev almost every central midfielder has destroyed you this season? And, I mean... The other thing is that it doesn't really matter what the reason is, right? Um, Marsh has shown that he's not going to take care of that of, of that problem. Um, so, w why do you think? Why would you go Yanelt over someone uh, a popular Christian Eriksen pick? Because, well, I'm not sure if you have the Christian Eriksen touch map, but I'm pretty sure Eriksen very rarely goes into the box or even to the edge of the box. At least based on the eye test, from what I can recall. Um, Ericsson stays central to right and he sits in front of that click Phillips midfield. He's like the quarterback. And he would basically either wait for Tony to drift left and pass that way or he would wait for Jensen or Yanel to push forward and bring it to them instead. Mm. Um, that was the pattern of play against Everton. So I would expect something similar against Leeds because I do feel that Everton's midfield is similarly open. Yeah, ever since you know they, they went into this new Frank Lampard setup. Okay. Um, j just really quickly, I had um, 
I'll, I'll try to bring up those heat maps and, and see if we can do a little comparison here on, on the fly. But um, these heat maps here are um, they're from Fantasy Football Scout. Uh, we do get a lot of our data from Fantasy Football Scout, and and you pulled your um, your like attacking pressure um, graph from SofaScore. SofaScore. Okay, good good to know. Um, I'm looking at um, yeah. So you know, it it shows actually you know, to, as far as the uh, the heat maps go um, here on Fantasy Football Scout. Yanelt is also kind of pegged to that left-hand side. He's not in the center very much, doesn't get in the box very much. You're right, Christian Eriksen doesn't either, but he is. He does occupy that that center area where those two center mids are. I think I'd go Eriksen over over Yanelt, um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, it could be any any one of those three who who's making the the run at any given time, right? Um, let's go back to the FDR really quickly here. And let's see, who are we going to pick apart next here, Lucien? Um, well, maybe you, maybe it should be your turn to pick. Ah, <laughs> fair enough. Um, so, I mean, one, let me bring this up for a second. Um, here we go. So, I want to talk about, like, you know, there's, it's, it's tricky. I want to look at Chelsea, right? Chelsea, Watford, um, they're, they're home. Um, they have nothing to play for. Tuchel has shown that he has no ambition. He's not trying anything. Didn't even bring on Mason Mounts when they're tied 1-1 in their last game. Like I don't. I just. I worry about Chelsea. Like the matchup seems fantastic. They are home. I just worry about their motivation. And so the attack FDR for the podcast listeners here is 1.7 for attack and 1.7 for defense as well, which maybe speaks to a wing back or something like that. But you know, it's it's. Um, it's top five, not top four for for attacking um, FDR this game week. It doesn't scream much, and then their lack of motivation really makes me wonder. Um, we'll take a look at the stats in just a second. What are your your initial impressions on this matchup? Well, I think there were some rumors that I saw on Twitter that mentioned that there were some Chelsea Academy players that were being ready for this final game of the season. Um, what I also noticed is that Chelsea themselves don't finish seasons well. Hmm. I cannot recall a season where Chelsea absolutely smashed the team in game week 38. Yeah, they usually, you know, win uh, 2 0, you know, something quiet. Yeah, something basic. So <clears throat> I think holding on to your wing backs are fine. Uh, you know, especially Marcos Alonso. I think there were rumors, right, that he's not going to renew his contract and he's going to go as well. So, uh, if this is Marcus Alonso's swan song, like, you know, I'm sure every Alonso owner knows that when you watch the game, Alonso's basically parking his feet in the box all the time, you know? And, yeah, he very rarely actually runs down the wing. So, so that, is, that is Marcus Alonso for you, right? The second striker mm. <laughs> for Chelsea. Uh, I, I think the game is set up for him that way. At least compared to someone like Rhys James or, uh, yeah, like a Lukaku or something. Yeah, and I mean, one thing that Tuchel has, has done that I, I haven't really understood is, you know, playing players like um, like Andreas Christensen when you know the, the player's leaving, like Rudiger, when you know that player's leaving, why not play all these other players? One thing I will say, uh, Blue Daniel says Watford are horrible, and he's absolutely right, but I, I think a... 
if you're on free on free hit, I think a punt on on Trevor Shalaba is worth it. Go cheap on on defender something like that. Um, and you know if he doesn't play, he probably won't play. Um, but I don't know if I'd be buying any of their players. Let's let's take a look at um, I, at at the matchup in a, a little more granularly here as I as I move forward to that slide. So we have some stats here for for Watford just to to back up Blue Daniels' point. Watford conceded the joint most big chances in the in the last four game weeks with 13, and this one was interesting for me. The, the chances conceded left, center, and right are 27 from the left, 16 from the center, and 17 from the right. That's quite a big disparity for me. So I, which kind of speaks to Chelsea's right side. Which, which is why I like Reese James more than I like uh, Marcos Alonso in this in this game week because they'll be they'll be attacking um, Watford's left side there that that seems um, suspect. On the flip side, Chelsea have had the third most shots in the box, which which was surprising to me. Um, they're just not doing much with those shots, I guess. That's um, true. And they've had the most chances created um, from the center and the right. 22 from the center, 20 from the right in the last four game weeks. So Chelsea creating the most chances in the division from the right, Watford conceding um, way more chances from from the left than than from the other areas. I th- I think any player that plays on that, I, th- I think it'll be Reese James. I, I I just see a I I, th- I think Reese James is the player to haul here. Um, what are your thoughts on the stats here? And then and then we can move to the next slide that that you've prepared. Yeah. Well, I mean, um, I think. We can understand why Chelsea have created the most chances from the centre and the right. You know, uh, Reese James is a force to be reckoned with, and at the same time, Chelsea barely create anything from their left. Right, their left wing back isn't actually a left wing back, so it, it makes sense that you know there is this inclination for Chelsea to create from the right side. Um, for me, I'm more curious about Watford's chances conceded from the left because I need to ask: Is it? Does it mean that the shot was taken from the left side of the pitch, or does it mean that the chance was created from the left side of the pitch? Chance was created, not not necessarily the the shot was taken. The shot could have been oh. taken from the center. That's that's the yeah. Okay, yeah, because <laughs> I mean, uh, Watford lost five one to Leicester, and I'm not sure how many people in chat watched that game. <laughs> it was. Oh my goodness. Um, so, like, do you remember when Gabriel Ainze completely knocked Patrice Evra out when they lost 3 0 to AC Milan? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That happened. That happened last week. Yeah. <laughs> For Watford. And um, it, it just goes to show that chemistry is important in defense. Mm. Um, so, for me, picking a side where Watford will concede their chances. Really, I mean, it works if the team is organized and they have a system to breach. But Watford are so calamitous right now. (laughs) And a large part of it comes down to what I put in the next slide. Uh, But I do feel that, you know, Reese James is definitely worth holding on to. Because what I find is, uh, you know, to, to add to your point earlier about why Chelsea have so many shots in the box, but they don't take it, right? The, the chances are low XG because Chelsea don't play passes to go beyond their opponents. You know what I mean? Like yes. you, you, you can, you can barely recall 
a Chelsea player having a 1v1 against a goalkeeper. Chelsea's goals are usually brilliant. Like, you know, you cut around two people and, yeah, you, you, you know, hit a screamer. Yeah, usually Chelsea like to shoot through traffic. And that's really puzzling. I mean, it's okay, you know, but yeah, for, for a team that should be vying for top three, that should be like, you know, leagues above the rest of the the teams. Yeah, I think yeah, Chelsea are, have been a bit underwhelming in that sense. I'm gonna put that one. I'm gonna put that one on, on Tuchel, um, because it, you you see you see what Lukaku or or whoever even Havertz with he was there, they're you're, you're right. They're always in front of the back line. That there there's nothing created to to destabilize the back line to to kind of like dismantle the line. So there are pockets. He doesn't create pockets. He just he just he has one person up there, and that one person checks in front of the line. And everyone else is so wide or so deep that there's no support. Um, so, you know, they're, they're saying, um, s- someone mentioned it here in the chat that um, the Mount, oh, here we go, FPLD Chin says, Mount is probably the only viable player to buy. I, I'd i agree with that, I don't, but I don't even know if I'd be buying Mount. I, I, I think Chelsea players, if you have them, you probably hold them, and if you don't, you probably I, like I would probably wouldn't recommend buying. The only haul I see is really for James. But I want to get to the next slide here to uh, to look a little more deeply. Talk to us okay. about this. Yeah. So um, what I've put up here, right, for the listeners, is a compilation of lineups, Watford's lineups from uh, for the last seven games. So um, there's a picture with with Watford's last six and then I've got a big picture on the right side with Watford's last game against Leicester so if you look across their back line they've not really kept with the same centre-back partnership Hmm. and in some cases even their full-backs have been sent off like honestly Pico Firmino aside right that 4.2 million legend it's very difficult to actually name Watford's first choice defence you know, it's so different. And I think to compound insult upon the injury, <laughs> you know, all this while, right, the centre-back partnership has been Kabasele or Samir, if not, you know, Samir and Kafkat. And this works because Samir is the type of centre-back that is reactionary. He waits for the ball to arrive before he makes a tackle. Whereas Kabasele and Kafkat, they are both aggressive centre-backs. They want to win duels in the air, they want to put their foot in and they like pushing all the way into midfield to win, you know, tackles and to win the ball back. Mm. So what happened was when Kabasele and Kafkart started against Leicester, (laughs) and any long ball, literally any long ball just went completely over their heads because, yeah, they were just unusually aggressive against Jamie Vardy. So that itself screams trouble. Hmm. And yeah, a lot of Leicester's goals and big chances basically, you know, went that way. One long ball over the top could be from the left, could be from the right, but yeah, it was either Vardy getting the 1v1s or, you know, the ball would like fall to Madison in the edge of the box and he would have a good shot. Um, I think what's also really concerning is the fact that um, there's no communication between the backline and Ben Foster. I think for me that's more concerning because uh, as a 
you know, former goalkeeper myself that play competitive games, you need a lot of communication with your backline, especially when your backline chooses to play a high line. So, at one one, I believe what happened was that Watford decided to play an aggressive line at the back, but Ben Foster stood on his line. So, one long ball came in, and yeah, Ben Foster just was extremely slow to that ball while the defense like completely just stood up there, and yeah, Jamie Vardy just had to loop his header over Ben Foster. I find that that miscommunication is much more damaging compared to yeah all of Watford's individual mistakes because that just means that like you know any organized attack will tear them apart really especially attacks that come from diagonal runs because setups like these are extremely extremely susceptible to runs behind the blind side of centre backs mm-hmm. like if you do not notice a runner behind you yeah this, this setup will completely kill you so uh, in that sense like for me the players that make this type these type of diagonal runs number one Timo Werner he loves making diagonal runs from the left mm-hmm. side into the set, into the side of the box second one would be Kai Havertz but he only does it once in a while because Kai Havertz is an all-rounded forward yeah, so he's usually making a, a, a shorter diagonal run from the center towards the outside, towards the corners by the posts. Yeah, Havertz um, and I, I've seen you know Pulisic maybe make those runs, but Pulisic has so many technical flaws that his angle on the goal is often wrong, so so his shot is often bad. Um, and and the and I think like the the weakness of Watford here that that you're that you're talking about and that the center back pairing and the inconsistency in the back line. I, I don't see, I mean, I see Lukaku potentially being able to take advantage of that on his own, but from a from a, a design um, point of view, I don't see Chelsea set up tactically to capitalize on that, because he, he he's not playing with a 10, he's not playing with a false 9, right? It's it's especially if, if he goes, you know, does a 3-4-3, three, three, then he's still going to have that space in midfield when Lukaku comes and checks in front of the back. Of, of that back line, there's still those runs will be lacking. So, um, so I don't know. I I think I think Mount is a fine buy, I guess. But I I think that I don't see necessarily a haul um, from a from a design perspective or a tactics perspective. Um, I want to kind of move it forward because we're 46 minutes in and we have several other matchups to cover here. So I'm gonna mm, go back to let's. to the FDR really quickly and just kind of fly through it a little bit. Um, did you want to bring the next one up, or or, or should I just uh, just kind of keep it going? No, let's just keep it going. It's all right. Okay. Um, let's see. Which one did we have next here? The next one is actually one that that you brought up, right? Um, you want to talk about Spurs? Spurs a 2.0. Um, whoops. 2, 2.0 attack FDR against Norwich and 1.5 interestingly for for defense so better for attack than defense probably because of how poor Spurs are at the back how le- leaky they are um, despite how inept Norwich is um, and I'm going to go straight to straight to the slide um, that you prepared for this one here Lucien if I can find it there we go There and there go. it is. 
right? Our, our most vivid game week 38 memories. Actually, let me let me interrupt you really quickly here. I want to say say hi to um, another member that that has joined us in the chat. It's Kevin Rose. FPL underscore Safra coming in from South Africa. He has a question which we will cover later, uh, but nice to see you, Kevin. Go ahead, Lucien. Yeah, well, you know, Spurs have been the joy of our Game Week 38 um, yeah, hauls because, you know, Spurs do that, right? Spurs are usually on the um, scoring end of crazy scores like these. So, I, I do feel that um, in this last game week here, top priority transfers have to be for Spurs attack or Man City attack. Because mm. Man City also reliably get 4 or 5 goals. And Spurs, well, you know, you could get a 5-4 or you could get a 1-1 or you could get a 2-2. Like in this 1-1 game against Palace, Kane scored the opener. <laughs> you know, right. they just couldn't sustain the pressure. So really, like, like you know, Death, Texas and Kane scoring in game week 38. So, so j just for the podcast listeners, it, we, we have, um, let's see, four matches up here. I guess these, these are the last Game Week 38s in the last four seasons. So um, last season, it was a 4-2 win against Leicester. Then before that, it was a, a disappointing 1-1 draw to, to Palace. Um, then before that, again, it was Leicester at the end of the season, a 5-4 win against Leicester. Exciting finish there. And then back in the day against Hull City, um, before they got relegated, Tottenham won 7-1 on the final day. Um, like you're saying, Kane's record on Game Week 38 in the past four seasons, seven goals, always scores first. Um, so is there haul potential here? And is is does Norwich provide a haul potential for Kane, for Son, or both, in your opinion? Um, both. Definitely both. So... Mm. Uh, okay, so first things first, what is important to understand is that um, Kane probably has a minimum of six to seven points. And then his haul potential goes up depending on how many fast breaks Norwich concede. So um, Norwich's setup right now, right, uh, is relatively aggressive, but they don't retreat extremely into their shell because their fullbacks are young, but they're not physical. And their central midfield, they tend to prioritize lateral space instead of vertical space. So what happens is that um, you get these teams that do like, you know, a bullpen, like a giant circle around Norwich's back eight, and they just play through Norwich because of, you know, player quality. Unfortunately, player quality is the biggest reason Norwich is going to go down. And so what happens here is that um, Kane, with his multifaceted skill set as a playmaker, as a as a scorer, as a fox in a box, right? This is it's like the biggest reason he gets the first goal because when you look at the goals he scored against Hull, against Leicester, against Palace, right? They're a mix. They're a mix of goals. So sometimes Kane is like the poacher. So. You know, everyone can, you know, remember or at least imagine the typical Harry Kane goal, right? He gets the ball on the edge of the box. He has two to three runners ahead of him. He picks the right one and then he bombs into the box himself. And then, you know, the cross finds him and it's a low mm. finish, right? That, that's what we're so used to this season. So that is what Harry Kane has been doing very well. And once in a while, right, the thing about Game Week 38 
about Harry Kane's hollow potential is that Harry Kane really, really likes shooting from outside the box. That is where I feel the hollow potential comes in. And Norwich set themselves up to allow play to be dictated from outside their box. Mm. So for me, this is where Kane really shines. Like, yeah, so this is why I feel Kane is definitely captain worthy. Although Sun is definitely up there as well as a candidate. I, um, I think I think that point answers Blue Danube guy's question here. How will Spurs handle five at the back from Norwich potentially? And and it's it's with those shots from in front of those five from from Kane at the top of the box uh, that that could be a way they they handle it for sure. Yeah. So for me, getting Kane is a no-brainer. But I think a lot of questions on people's minds would be, you know, should I get Son? Should I get Kulusevski? Because, you know, people expect him to be back after his illness. Should I get, you know, some... some should I get Sessignon, right? Because he's, like, such a hot topic right now. And what I would notice is this. For Spurs, when they are extending their lead in, you know, late in the game, right? Um, it's always a common denominator that Harry Kane is going to be up there. Not as the playmaker, he's not the guy that releases the counter-attack. He's like up there as one of the two counter-attackers. So, for example, in the 5-4 game against Leicester, Eric Lamella, I think, scored a brace. And when you look at the exact position of Harry Kane as Lamella scored his goals, Harry Kane's like literally next to Lamella, you know, just in case he misses. Mm. And it's the same thing when Gareth Bale got his brace against Leicester last season in the 4-2 win. Mm-hmm. A lot of the time, yeah, actually I think Harry King got one of the assists for Gareth Bale's goals. And yeah, it, it's how it is. Like, Gareth Bale, I mean, sorry, Harry Kane is just up there in the box, running at full pelt. Um, yeah, during counter-attacks, he's definitely not the playmaker here. So... In that sense, I feel that if Spurs run away with the game, I feel that this year is definitely Sun's year. Sun Jung Min's year. I mean, yeah, to, so the, the, that's, that's one thing that's one thing that supports that, and we'll we'll take a look at it in a little bit here with the um, zonal matchups, is that Norwich have conceded the most chances from the right side in the last in the last four matches. So that that certainly favors Sun. But if you look at it in, in more context, they conceded, I believe, 23 chances from the right side, but they they conceded 22 chances from the center. So, um, so that 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 speaks to Kane as well. Now, I, I don't know. I haven't seen any of this news, but um, Akib says that Kane is sick and rumored he, he got some kind of food poisoning. But Blue Danube guy says Conte said that Kane should be fine. Um, I don't I don't see Kane missing the the final day of the season. Um, and and I don't see Kane giving Son anything, despite Son chasing the the golden boot, and then Salah potentially not not playing. So um, that that'll be an interesting dynamic to watch. I think I think both of them obviously offer uh, potential hauls. Um, let's see, were there any any other of those matchups that you that you wanted to take a look at before we get to the zonals? Would you like to talk about Man City? Would you like to just give yeah. you a quick hot take on Man City? Yeah, let's let, let's do a quick um, hot take on Man City, and we can talk about Leicester a, a little bit later when we get to the zonals. Yeah, so where would you like to begin? 
Well, for the podcast listeners, we'll start with Man City has a has the second best attacking FDR according to Mariners metrics here with a 2.2 um, against home to Aston Villa, 1.0 for defense. So um, not sure about that one, but in terms of their their attacking potential, I mean. How do you see them attacking Villa? We, we know, like we, we discussed, I think, um, when I was on the show two weeks ago, that was when I was last on the show, I talked about how, how Villa kind of, they attack very much from their left-hand side. They have, they push Dean forward, they have Coutinho on that side, they have Watkins on that side. Um, they even shift Buendia, like, a, a, around the pitch, but he also plays on the left side. And what they do is they hold Cash back. So that when when cash has hauled, it's come from usually some kind of um, some some kind of like when when the opposing team has shifted to their right side, so to Villa's left hand side, then cash can bomb up that right wing and, and then he's hauled like like that. But um, but the the center of the creativity is on that left hand side. Given that kind of setup, how will man how how do you think Man City would attack that? And is it do we even talk about who we think will play for City? Well, that's the thing about Steven Gerrard's setup, right? Uh, I think Steven Gerrard has alternated between a very narrow 4-3-2-1 and a very narrow 4-3-1-2. So, um, <coughs> with Cash and Dean as the only wide players on the flanks, I do feel that those two players are going to be susceptible to overloads. So, the question comes down to how Steven Gerrard is going to deal with those overloads. Does he force one of the central midfielders to cover, or does he force one of the wingers to track back? And from what I've seen so far of Villa, they do neither. Because Villa are extremely reliant on winning their duel 1v1. So, when Villa has their first 11 set and all fit, they actually do okay. They can actually keep teams up. Uh, but what I foresee here is that Man City will actually break through from the flanks. That's definitely going to happen. So the question comes down to whether City attacks Villa's left flank or whether they attack Villa's right flank. That for me is the chief concern. Uh, because, you know, every Man City game, right, we expect City to like have majority of the ball. So this I find favors the flank that attacks because the cash I feel is only exposed when cash himself bombs forward. Yeah, many cash I'm very it has a very yeah good has a very prominent reputation of not being able to cover the space behind him. Yeah. And I also feel that because was it Tyron Mings, right? A left footed right centre back, right? He, he's really uncomfortable pushing out to the flank to cover him. So I do find that a real issue as well. So, I mean, you know, unfortunately here, I don't expect many cash to bomb forward that often. So uh, I think the candidates are really obvious. Kevin De Bruyne is a very obvious pick here because uh, De Bruyne's trademark runs start from the half space, from the right half space, and he goes into the box and he either shoots or crosses. Um, <clears throat> I think the other wildcard pick would be either Sterling or Mares. I think in this part, we probably have to rely on some ITKs to, you know, predict who will start. Uh, but my money is on Riyad Mares, simply because what I do know is that when you have a left-footed left-back, he is very likely to protect his 
outside. Yep. So if Sterling, as a right footer, right winger, plays on the right side, that plays into Lucas Dean's strengths. So Ria Mares on that right flank would almost certainly turn Lucas Dean inside out. Mm, that's a great yeah, point. So that would be yeah, my, my tactical pick, so to speak. Mm. Hmm. I, th- I think you may have just convinced me, convinced me of my Salah replacements. We'll see. I don't know. I, I, I like that, I, I, and, I, and I agree. I think um, a lot of people, Mariner included, I don't know if he's still in the chat, um, but he, he brought in Mares for this last game week and cursed him, or, or, or was it the one before? But uh, he's still cursing Mares. But, but, but I, I, could, I, could see them, I, I could see them finishing with, with, with Mares instead of Sterling. I mean, who knows? Sterling could play on the left-hand side. I'm not, you know, I, I don't know if Pep is going to want to pick Grealish against uh, against Cash. Um, you know, given given how well they they know each other and their former teammates, of course. Um, hmm, that's that's an interesting one with with Mares and such a big risk, right? Uh, a huge risk. I I I do think that this Man City match of the 2.2. Um, I think it's a little better than that. It feels a little better than that for me. Um, I, but but the the rotation and the risk I think um, are, have to be factored in as well. I think what's also interesting to note is that uh, when Man City win four one or five nil in their previous seasons, um, majority of their second, third, and fourth goals are scored by wingers. Mm. So if you ask me, even if Mares comes off the bench, as long as he doesn't come on for like one minute. I still feel that he will get within the points. Hmm. I just feel that City's ceiling is that high. I agree. I agree. Yeah. Let's um let's move on to let's see what are we gonna do next. Let's do some zonal matchups to give maybe give context to the FDR. See um, if we're deciding one between another. This will help us um, with splitting hairs. Um, let's see. I'm just trying to operate the machine here. Here we go. Let's go on to the zonals. Here we are, uh, Son, Son, Himming Son pictured here. Um, Spurs have the best matchup on the left. We talked about how how susceptible, how vulnerable Norwich is uh, on, on the right-hand side. So um, so that, that one makes a lot of sense. I'm surprised the, uh, the center matchup isn't better there for Spurs. I think, I think some of the numbers do, like especially in the last four game weeks, you know, we talked about how Norwich have conceded the, I think the third most chances from the center in the last four games, but that's one more than they have from from their right hand side. So um, I think that's maybe underrepresented. Um, some other standouts here for for the podcast listeners: we have Arsenal central matchup, uh, second best this this game week with 4.7. Again, lending weight to the uh, to the Eddie and Ketia. Um, good good asset to have um, this game week. A couple of other ones. Um, Chelsea, we're looking at the center with a 4.9. It's the best this game week. But from the right-hand side, the 5.2 um, attacking Watford's left-hand side. Again, lending credence to that that, that Reese James um, Hall. I, I do see a, a Hall in the final season. I think he's a legit captain shout this week. Um, we have obviously Liverpool's right-hand side against Wolves. Liverpool's right-hand side is a always been a favorable matchup because Salah usually plays on that side but who I don't know I don't know who's going to be playing on the right maybe Jota um, maybe Luis Diaz I, I do have to 
put an advocate on that because Wolves uh, FDR is kind of influenced by their team selection so mm. I think the left side has been weak when uh, Saiz played on the left because he's very susceptible to making dangerous tackles and he's very rash uh, mm. But in recent games, they've played Toti Gomez on left centre-back and they've actually brought in, yeah, replacements on the right side. For me, Wolves' weakness is actually their right flank right now because mm. of Willy Bolly having the tendency to ball watch. So this is me speaking as a very passionate Wolves fan that doesn't really feel comfortable watching Willy Bolly play. <laughs> and honestly, when, when Wolves lost... 5-1 the City, right? A lot of Kevin De Bruyne's goals came from him linking with Sterling on the left flank. Yeah. Yeah. So, I, I do feel that, yeah. In this case, I feel that Sanyo Mane is the biggest threat than Salah. A bit, yeah. Big call, but I, I feel that. that hmm. In theory, feels right. And what, what do you think about Luis Diaz as a, as a punt for 38? Uh, Luis Diaz is great to watch. I think the strange thing about Diaz is that he doesn't get multiple big chances again. The thing about right. Luis Diaz is that he makes his own chances. He has to like dribble, he has to receive the ball, dribble, then shoot. I've not seen him really have a big chance since game week 26 when he got that one-on-one against Norwich. Mm. Yeah, otherwise he really likes he really enjoys creating his own chances and for me that leads to like small XG and stuff so and yeah it's it's, it's convenient to own hmm. uh, but I would rather pay for a Jota that regularly gets big XG chances so I, I think when considering Liverpool the conversation about Liverpool has to be the Champions League final and however they're going to set up there, I think they won't set up this. Even though they have a, a full week to rest, I mean, he's going to want to avoid some injuries. The and, and I think it'll also depend on on the the game, the state of the game. If if City are dropping points, he may throw more firepower at it. And and but if City go up on on Villa like we expect them to, and Klopp sees that that the league is out of his hands. I, I, I don't know how, how much they will go for it and and with which players. So I, I think Liverpool feels a little bit like a trap, except for, yeah, I, I think even all around, I, I could see um, Mane is going to want to play, but why risk him? Why risk him? Jota, you know, is going to want to play, but, you know, I think, I think Firmino will play. I think maybe Luis Diaz, but I mean, I think we could see Minamino in there. We could see Origi, and then if if there's a chance, then make the substitutions and really go after it. So um, I I think Liverpool assets are are fraught with risk this this game week. It, it feels to me. Well, this is just a pure prediction from my side, but I do feel that based on how Klopp has rotated his squad, I think he will start with his best eleven and then bring them off early. Hmm. That's what I have observed him do, especially when they want to preserve player fitness. Yeah, I I think you know one thing that it, it's it's been shown with especially with with teams like City who make it far in the Champions League every year and somehow are not getting not getting there right not not winning and and I think this is um, a disadvantage that that Premier League teams have is they play that extra cup they play so many matches if you don't have an enormous squad like I. 
you know, it's 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 no accident that both um, Chelsea and City lost to Madrid in the you know in the in the dying moments. Um, I I think that's if I, Klopp would be wise to kind of learn a lesson from that and uh, and rest players. But you're right, he he tends to he wants he wants to build them up um, emotionally, so maybe get them in there and then sub them out. I, I still think it's a risk. Um, we'll see about that. The, the next thing I wanted to go to here, any any final thoughts here on the zonals? Oh, Til- uh, I'm, just, I'm oh. just looking at Leicester's central 4.3 against Southampton. Ooh, yes. I, I'm, I'm wondering, why isn't that in a red box? Yeah, why isn't that in a red box? Well, it's I think it's to test us. Sometimes Mariner likes to test us, and I think that, that you, you just passed the test with that one. Look at Le- Leicester, 4.3 down the center compared to 2.9 on the left and 2.7 on the right against at home against Southampton. Uh, Vardy's back. Um, he's scoring. It could be his last game with uh, with the Foxes. I, I, it's a really it's a really nice matchup. And, and going back to the FDR, um, the FDR was at 2.0, which was which is okay. It's positive, um, not one of the best, but um, but it is positive. But combining the FDR with a 4.3 with this heavily skewed central matchup is really tasty. Um, so I think I think we'll um, that's that definitely one to watch and 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 I think he, he should be pretty nailed for that final match, don't you? I mean, you know how Spurs had those crazy games against Leicester, mm. right? Leicester scored four goals against Spurs and you know two goals last season. All Jamie Vardy, man. Oh, Jamie Vardy. Oh, Jamie Vardy. Oh, Jamie Vardy. So we'll definitely have more on that. The next thing I want to get to here is uh, we have a, a couple of free hit, free hit samples. One is is a little bit of an alternative one. I put it together last night really late, very quickly to see. I, I There's not too much analysis in it. And it was very much like, okay, I've gone through all the numbers. Who Who's popping out to me? And it's a little bit of a weird one. And then we have one from from Gavin Doyle on Twitter. He's a, a good friend. He's a, he's an Irish Irish man in Mexico, and he plays fantasy Bundesliga. So we connect on that as well. And I I kind of stole his his free hit um, from Twitter. There we go. So I'll read out the first one um, on the left hand side. This is the one that I put together very quickly last night. Um, Loris and goal. Um, I'll read it as a starting lineup, and then um, I guess we can go over it there. It's it's a it's a four three three with Loris in goal against Norwich. I I still like the the shot for a, for a clean sheet there. Uh, a back four of Reese James, Matip, um, Andy Robertson, and Shalaba. Um, midfield three of De Bruyne, Wissa, and Son, and a front three of Enketia, Kane, and Vardy. And then on the bench. We have um, Anthony Gordon, we have Dewsbury Hall, and we have uh, Johnson from West Ham. Uh, and, and then Steele is the backup goalkeeper just because it fits. Um, I think there's about 0.4 left in the bank in this team. It, you, you could you know, obviously make some, um, some changes here if, if you don't like uh, Shalabar or, or whatever. You can, get, you, know, you, you can definitely move up, move around. But um, what do you think of this 4-3-3, Lucien? I think it's really flexible. Uh, especially if you're on a free hit because I do feel that uh, Ryan Sessegnon is in it with a shout if, you don't, if you're not comfortable having Chaloba um, at the same time I do feel that the 6 million 
midfielder bracket is so unpredictable. I love it. Absolutely love it. Mm. <laughs> uh, having said that, I you know went with the big midfield setup like the one on the right. So if you were to ask me to pick a six million midfielder, whew, it's it's just really weird, I guess, because you know you're looking you're looking at yeah Chelsea versus Watford. Oh yes, sorry. There was one very interesting name that we have not mentioned that is under six million. Who is from Chelsea? Who makes the exact diagonal runs? Who actually made the exact diagonal runs that dismantled Norwich when they won seven nil? Want to guess? Kovacic. No. Nope. Kovacic supplied the ball for the run. Yes, Kovacic supplied the ball, those balls. Yes, but who scored? It's a diagonal from the wing to the left. Mel? Nope. Who scored? I don't know. Callum Hudson Odoi. Oh, wow. I, uh, you took me off guard there. Yeah. <laughs> you caught me off guard. Um, did not expect a Cho reference here. That mm. I find is going to be. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, if there is any news of Callum Hudson Odoi starting, everyone should jump on that. Interesting. Great it shout. Is, a match made in like perfection, especially under six million. Hmm. I I like I like that you know while while people may be going for Tony, I like that Wisa's in the box more and and he's playing on 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 that side where they can kind of take advantage in in, in their matchup. Um, and and he is kind of in midfield, so he is kind of making a run through that on the left hand side towards the box, so he can cut through that space. Where um where Click and, and, and Phillips play, so I think he could take advantage of, of he could be that you know we were talking about Ericsson and Janelt. I think Wisa could be all those things. Could be the one that's further forward, the one that's making those late runs in, and and one that absolutely nobody will go for. So that he, I got kind of excited by him uh, in this draft. Um, moving over to Gavin Doyle's draft on the right, I I I love his goalkeeper selection. Fabianski away to Brighton. Um, I thought that was really interesting and a little bit different. He has Alonso, Laporte, and Cancelo at the back. Mount, Madison, De Bruyne, Son, and Luis Diaz in midfield. And he's gone with Kane and Tony up top. Uh, on his bench, he has Foster, Sessegnon, Chimikas, and Richardson um, to round it out. What are your thoughts on this free hit team? It's, well, I'm going to be, you know, out there and I'm going to say that. My setup is quite similar. I've got mm. big in midfield as well. Um, <clears throat> I think this lineup is really convenient because of Sessignon as a 4.3 option on the bench. Yeah. Uh, this this lineup, I feel, come, it hedges against the potential rest for Alonso and Mount. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm a big fan of it. The Fabianski pick, I feel, is very exciting. <laughs> you know, because I mean, I, I say this because I think back to um, your zonal matchups, right? And Brighton just have such green numbers against West Ham. I know we didn't have time to talk about them, but uh, for me, I, I I understand that Fabianski pick. I really understand it because if I feel that if we were to um, sort every single team right by chances missed big chances missed or the most chances missed Brighton will be up there yes yeah you know everybody everybody loves to to praise Graham Potter and and rightly so I I think he's done a tremendous job but one thing that I've like I'll always criticize him for is 
you've been there for several years, man, and you're rolling fucking Danny Welbeck and Neil Malpe out there. I mean, you've bought well, you've purchased well. Like, how do you not know you have to put some goals in? There's a reason you're underachieving your XG every single year. It's because your strikers are shit. Invest in a striker. Stop buying defensive midfielders. Stop buying wingbacks. Get a striker, and and I think and I think Brighton would be a team. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's it's a really weird one because uh, Brighton's approach to buying strikers, really, you know, they they like undervalued picks. So, you know, if you buy an undervalued pick, you have to train him or nurture him into, you know, performing to his par level. And I, I think that's where Brighton are missing something. You know, that mm. that magic star does to turn an undervalued pick into you know a pick that actually performs at their level because yeah. we know that Mopai and Welbeck and Trossard and Alistair they can score goals they can they've yeah. just not hit 20 a season that's all I don't, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I agree with that I, I don't think they can score goals to be honest I think the goals they, they scored have been I don't know um, Blue Danube guy is saying um, he says that free heat team lacking a Liverpool defender or two I think and I think that's a fair point you know they're, they're they're still playing for something. At least the defenders will show up. They'll want to not concede. Um, but I think I think my my last thoughts on on a free hit. If I were to like kind of look at this again and redo it, I think there's value in and in in the less expensive defenders. So you could go with with Matip. You could go with Sesenyon. You could go with Shalaba as a back three. And then you can go enormous in midfield. You can like I would want to upgrade maybe Mount. Or, or upgrade Luis Diaz to Mane by going with with those cheap um, with that cheap back three, and then then go just enormous in mid, in midfield. Go De Bruyne, Son, Mane, um, maybe Mount, and then maybe throw a Wisa in there, um, or or even go with Madison if you can afford it. Um, so I I think I would probably approach a free hit that way, given the the number of goals typically scored in game week thirty eight. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, my personal setup right now is Son, De Bruyne, and Mares in the field. Mares. I might, I might do Mares, and I, we, we can get to our teams really quickly at the end. We don't usually do that, but we can try to sneak it in here if we have time. Um, but I, I, might, I might be looking at Salah to Mares, and, uh, and then, what was it, Watkins to Vardy. And I, I might be able to do Kane, but I'm not sure. We'll get there. Um, all right, let's see. What, are, what do we have next here? I think it's time for the final roomy pick. Final roomy pick of the season. Had to be. <laughs> so, had to be. It's Jamie Vardy, 10.3 million forward, home to Southampton, um, coming off some halls. So, Jamie Vardy is... He has played, he has started in less than half of the matches this season. And he's still in the top 10 scoring forwards. Um, he, I, I think he's back for the FPL beach party. One last hurrah. Um, with a third best FDR this week um, at, at 2.0 and a tasty zonal matchup of 4.3 down the center compared to 2.9 on the left and 2.7 on the right. I think Vardy will be looking to blow off some steam after the grueling court case with Rebecca. And uh, he'll be wanting to break some corner flags in game week 38. I, I can see it happening. So Jamie Vardy is my roomy pick. And the quote that I think is, is so exemplifies Vardy so well um, is, 
the, the last Rumi quote of this season is, you are not a drop in the ocean, you are the entire ocean in a drop. So I'll leave him with that, and I feel that way about Vardy. He, encom- he embodies everything, you know? It's, it's, it's amazing, honestly, like, Jamie Vardy, you know? Because, like, if, let's say, we didn't play FPL and we just looked at Jamie Vardy, right? He could easily double up as the striker that came out from League 2, valued at 5.5 million. And he could be the 11 million striker that we know now. And we wouldn't be surprised at either. Hmm. Because, yeah, he, he just never looks like an elite striker, but he just defies age and class and every single conception we have about, you know, a number nine. It's a dying breed. Jamie Vardy as a number nine is a dying breed. <laughs> because all number nines are so well-rounded now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah. I, I love this roomy pick. I really do. Well, cool. Let's see if it works. Um, I think I have to bring him in. Like, I, if, if I have to choose between Vardy and Kane, I think I'm, I think I'm going Vardy. Fair. I, I mean, you, it's more of, you know, if, if you choose Vardy over Kane, Where's the extra money gonna go? Who cares? <laughs> Who cares? If you have money for both. Oh, I don't think many players have money for both. That would be really interesting. If if we're yeah. selling Salah, if we're selling yeah. Salah, I mean, people might have money for both. In game week thirty-seven. For, no, 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 sorry, not not for both. Money for either. Sorry, money money yeah. for either. And you're gonna choose one or one or the other. I, I, who would you rank higher for this game week, Vardy or Kane? Uh, no, really, the answer is both. It, it's, it was exactly <laughs> the same as when people asked me, uh, Salah or KDB in game week 36, right? Mm-hmm. And I said both. You have to own both. Yeah. You have to own both. You know, because in, in our minds, our projections, we know that they both do well. Yeah. It doesn't matter how well they do. I can't own both. I can only own one, so... I'm going to have to choose, so we'll see. We'll see. Um, all right, we're going to take a look at the captaincy metric next and see how we did last week and uh, see what Mariners got on tap for us this week. <laughs> captaincy metric. So last week we went, um, the metric went with Sun. I'm so pissed off right now. I, I would have gone, Rich Harlison has been my boy for years. And I would have gone Rich Harlison. And the, and the metric said <laughs> go Son, and I went Son, and missed out on a hole, on a, on a big haul. Oh, well, that's, that's how it rolls. Every time I've, almost every time I've strayed from the metric, I've also blanked in my captaincy oh. decision. So um, I think I either need to stick with the metric or not, or not go with it at all. I think I'll probably stick with it since I'm doing better on captaincy this year than I have in, in years past. Um, who did you captain last week, Lucien? Yeah, definitely Captain Sun. Yeah, same here. It, it's, oh, well. it's really weird because um, some weeks I make moves really early. And I do it because I know that prices are going to rise and I have like a 0.0 million margin. So this was one of those weeks where I just bought Richarlison and Sun. And I just left the captain's armband on Richarlison. I just left it at that. Mm. And the more I looked at my team over the week, 
suddenly I just decided to captain Sun instead of you know leading on Richarlison. It's a really weird thing. I, I think a lot of FPL players can relate. Like mm-hmm. your first pick is usually your best one. Mm. Yeah, for some weird reason. So yeah. When it comes to captaincy, that's not true for me. My first, second, and third picks are usually my worst ones. Someone else's pick is usually the best one. So maybe I'll just copy people next season. Uh, let, let's see what the numbers say for captaincy. Um, we do have a... So just, just want to show... Um, Dread is fully on board with the, our, our member here, Dread FPL, is fully on board with the Vardy. Uh, Jamie's going to ruin ranks on Sunday. I'm gutted I don't have him. Could be his farewell. Um, he says, if I had to choose Vardy all day over Kane. So, yeah, I think I'm going to go with you. Dread knows how to, you know what? Dread knows how to have fun. So I think I, I might go with Dread here and, and go with uh, with Vardy over Kane. Here's what, here are the numbers. Sun, human Sun tops the metric against Norwich um, and will be the obvious and boring pick in game week 38. Um, he has a 42% haul. Metric number for captaincy is 100 is. 123, way up there. It's it's obvious. Um, five uh, five returns of two or more in the last ten. 42% haul. One return in seven in the last ten. Um, FDR a tasty 115. Um, Kane is second with 117 on the metric. A um, little bit less haul percentage. A little bit higher return percentage. So you know I think you were talking about this earlier. Um, that six points is is almost guaranteed for Kane. Um, you know, but if you want that haul, you know, Sun has a slight higher chance. And then Trent's coming in third, interestingly, at a, with 107 on the metric, um, with an only a haul percentage of eight, 8% haul percentage. So it's quite low. If we're, so Trent might be more of a net that return than net that haul. I don't think I would, I would be going, going Trent. Mariner always says this is not net that return. This is not net that return. This is net that haul. Um, who else we got in here? And then after after Trent's we have Robo. Then De Bruyne comes in at ninety nine. Um, anything Look surprising? Look at how high you Bukayo Saka is. Look how high Saka is. He's coming. That's right. He's uh, what is it? Seventh. Frightening. Yeah, Saka comes in with a ninety six. And, and like I said, I like I like Katia more uh, this game week. I, I think Kata, uh, Saka has actually been on the. Uh, on the decline a little bit. Um, I don't know. I think the team is 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 knackered as well. So, but I do think they're going to come out blazing against Everton. Who are you captaining? It. I've I've left it on Sun. Okay. Yeah, it's so weird. I think I've captained Sun more times than Salah this season. I'm going to captain Vardy. Not even on the, not on the list. Obviously, he's missed too many games to to make it to on on this list. Um, but I'm I'm pretty sure I'm bringing Vardy in for a hit, and I'm going to captain him. Um, have some fun this last game week. Um, let's see. Is uh, Nehala is asking is Salah not not here because of availability? Um, and I believe that's the case. Nehala, we'll have to confirm that with Mariner, but I'm I'm pretty sure he left him out because of because of the injury and because of the the Champions League. They'll want him fit for that Champions League game. I don't I personally don't expect Salah to start. He may get some minutes. Um, but I, I, I think he'll just he'll just rest uh, because of that um, Champions League game. Um, let's see. 
we're going to get to some questions here, and um, I will look through the chat, but I also have, let's do the Twitter questions first. Um, so I have our, our Twitter questions up here. Thanks to Nima for putting that tweet out. Um, so Daniel Joe, he says, is a minus eight hit. Uh, hold on, let me, let me, let's move beyond this screen. Let's just go like fireside, just you and me here, Lucian. Here we go. Da Daniel Guy, Daniel Joe, is a minus eight hit, hit too much for game week 38? Thinking of bringing in Mount, Vardy, and Alonso. Or should I just take a minus four and just bring in Vardy and Mount? Below is my current team for transfers. Um, so Vardy and Mount coming in for a minus four, or would you throw Alonso in that mix for a um, for a minus eight, Lucien? Who's he selling? That's, I think the real question comes down to who you're selling. If you're selling uh, liabilities, you know, like, hmm, who would be a liability? Coutinho. If you're selling players like Coutinho, sure. If you're selling someone with potential like Madison, then yeah, I don't think that's worth it. Mm. So, uh, whenever you take a hit, you always consider the potential points your ex player will get versus the new player. Yeah, so it really comes down to how you feel the old player will do as well. So, so he... for me, like in a vacuum, yeah. yes. In a vacuum, yes. But yeah, it really depends on who's you know. So I'm, I think he has a bunch of money in the bank because it is he doesn't have Salah and his current team is Ramsdale, Cancelo, Trent, Robertson at the back, Son, Barnes, Saka, Kulusevski, and Coutinho in midfield, Ings and Richarlison. So I'm assuming it's Coutinho and Ings for um, for Mount and Vardy for a hit. I'd, I'd be all over that hit, Joe. Um, I say go for it and avoid the Alonso hit. You, you don't need it. You you have you have players. Uh, well, you don't really have defenders to cover in case, but I don't think any of your players will get benched. Robertson, Trance, and Cancelo, they, they should all play given the league is still on the line. So I, I would definitely go for that hit. Um, Going to move on here. Uh, FPL Sherlock, so so Dylan, Sherlock underscore FPL on Twitter, he asks, which which beach is Gabe at? I would like to join him there. <laughs> and uh, So... The um, so so for my good friend Dylan on Twitter, the, the the FPL beach is a state of mind. That's the beach that I'm at. It's it's the state of mind where we where we let go of all results and all results based thinking, and and all any expectation of rank or anything like that. You just let it go. You let it go because the an expectation of rank will bring anxiety because it's something in the future. Um, a lament over of a red arrow will, will bring sadness because you're wishing something to be true in the past that isn't. So the only answer is really to live in the present. So the FPL beach is a state of mind where you live in the present. That's how I would answer that question. Um, next question. Would appreciate, this is from FPL Macha, would, would appreciate a nice upside chasing free hit team draft. So we gave you a couple of those drafts, drafts Masha. Um, I take a look at them, and and I would also consider doing one with a very cheap back line with what kind of budget defenders to see what kind of firepower you can get in, in your midfielders and forwards. Tavindra Raj says, your best and worst FPL decision this season till date. I hate this question. <laughs> uh, uh, best and worst. Wow. I... I wouldn't say I have a best one. I've had some lucky ones, but I wouldn't say That's, I've had some best ones. Yeah, 
that's I I I think like anything that works out is luck. So <laughs> what have been what's been your luckiest one? Yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not gonna go with the best one. I mean, I'm not gonna go with the lucky one. I'm gonna go with the best one. Like, I feel that uh, the eye test is underrated, and I think it's one thing, you know, using the eye test to confirm your picks, but it's another following through. Hmm. So, I would very gladly claim that I have netted calls from Huang and Ketia and Vekos purely off the eye test, and I'm very proud of those picks. Despite mm. having to deal with your yeah, one pointers, a couple of game people. Mm. Yeah. My my best pick has has undoubtedly been Joel Matip. I, I brought Matip in in like game week twenty eight on my wild card, and everybody said he was being rotated, and I said he's starting every league game, and Konate is starting the European fixtures, and that proved to be the case. He scored some goals. He's gotten some assists. So. Um, I've really been, I, I bought him at 4.9, and, and he's been my favorite pick of, of the season. I'd, I'd say my, my worst decision um, has been I, I had planned this whole kind of midfield hokey cokey, and I was going to bring in Son when he hauled a couple of game weeks ago, but instead I saw how well De Bruyne was doing, and I brought in De Bruyne when he, when he was rested, and Son hauled, and I captained De Bruyne. So that was probably my worst decision. Um, on the bright side of that, I stuck with De Bruyne and I got his haul in the next game week. But I would have done both. I would have brought in Son and then Son was going to become De Bruyne. And if I would have done that, I'd have a whole host of points as well. Um, just really quick. Uh, uh, so Nehal. Yeah, game week 26 right around there. Yeah, Nehal and I discussed this way back then. Um, he, he's been such a, such a great pick. Oh, right. I, damn it, Akeem. Sometimes I hate you, man. I love you, but I hate you. So Akeem just reminded me of my worst decision this season. I brought in oh. Adama, um, Adama Traore in my first wild card, and he stayed in my team until like February. So <laughs> yeah, that was the worst. Wow. One. Thank, thanks for that, Akeem. Um, that that hurts. <laughs> All right, let's let's fly through as as time is flying by here. Is uh. Salah to Son and Richarlison to Vardy worth a hit for the final game week? This is from Nehal, oh. and I think and I think he put it in the chat here as well. Oh yeah. I say do it. And then he also has bench one. Rams uh Ram Ramsdale, Broya, Gilhar Share. Oh no, that's his bench. Okay. Um yeah, I say I say take that hit, Nehal. What do you say, Lucien? Well, it looks like he's got two choices. So oh, one, it's, one, it's oh. either Richarlison to Tony mm. or Saka and Madison. So for me, it's Richarlison to Tony. I agree. I, I really favor Tony here. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I agree with that. Okay, get back on Twitter. Let's see what else we got. Um, Keeper sells a lot. Oh. Sorry. There's a question by Ron Cupboard. Play Laporte or Rafinha? Um, I would play Laporte, but let, let me just get through the Twitter questions first, and then I'll then I'll get to okay, the sure, sure. to the chat questions. Uh, but may, yeah, make sure you, you know where they are so so I can find them. Um, let's see, keeper sell Salah for KDB. Sell, I say sell. I don't think he'll play. Best differential captain for the last game. We don't care about the rank. Way ahead in my mini league in my mini league. Vardy. Who? Cool. Trent Alexander. 
Nice, I like it. And he's high up there on the captaincy metric as well. So we yes. have Trent and Vardy for the differential captains. I would throw Reese James in there as well. I think he um, he could haul. Um, let's see, Salah or Kane minus four. Salah. Simon Christie asks, us, Salah or Kane minus four? Is Salah getting minutes? I don't know what Salah or Kane minus four uh, means, but I don't think Salah is getting minutes this game week, personally. So let, let's go to the, the questions here in, in, in the chat. I'm going to go from from newest to oldest, just so, so I don't lose them here. So this is the one that you were talking about. Elrond yeah. Cupboard, <laughs> nice name. Uh, play Laporte or Hafinha? Which would you play? Laporte mm, against uh, Villa, Laporte. of course, yeah. and Hafinha against Brentford? I'd still go with Laporte. I'd go with Laporte as well. Um, let's see. Ah, here's one from PSB. Is Gabriel Jesus a hold or a sell? I may very well burn my game week 38 free transfer. Do not burn that transfer. Jesus to Vardy. I'm gonna I'm pounding the Vardy drum today. <laughs> I mean, if he has money, sure. Uh, if I don't see a reason to sell Jesus. Like for me, if you sell Gabriel Jesus, you have to pick up another Man City player elsewhere. Otherwise, you keep it. I don't know. He says otherwise he burns his game week is free transfer. If you're gonna burn the transfer anyway, I I, I don't mind selling Gabriel Jesus. I don't think his uh, zonal matchup for for City was really great. We talked about how they'll probably look to overload the flanks, especially on on Dean's side. I mean, the, it's City and Jesus is, has been in good form, so he could always come through. Um, but rather than burn a, trans, a free transfer, I think uh, I think if you can upgrade to a Vardy. Um, yeah, that's, he's he's mentioned that he has zero in the bank. Uh, so you can't get to Vardy. I would not go to Tony or anything like that. I would hold Gabriel Jesus and look for a transfer elsewhere, I guess. Such a shame. <laughs> Such a shame. Oh, get well, to Vardy. What, what I would suggest is that you take a minus four, downgrade Saka into somebody else, and then turn Jesus into Vardy. Because he has Ben Davis on the bench. You see. He has Ben Davis. I see. Uh, Dewsbury Hall, so he could heal either one, and then you know, yeah, whoever he picked up for Saka, you know, it's up to him whether he wants to bench him. Yeah, it's a tough sell going from potentially burning a free transfer to taking a hit. So that that's that's quite the the 180 the the shift there. Um, I would probably just look for a, an easier transfer elsewhere and and roll with Gabriel Jesus. Uh, Dread, this is and this one's for you, Lucian, because I know you wanted to talk about Jared Bowen. Dread says. Uh, no love for Bowen trying to get uh, Europa League. I think there is. It just comes down to who you replace him with. Uh, sorry, mm. who you replace for Bowen. Uh, it's tough, right? Because everyone's picking up Spurs players, City players. So, like, I feel that if you already have three Spurs and three City, then, oh, sorry, three Spurs, three City and Body, then Bowen is a decent Hmm. Yeah. I I don't know. I mean, Bowen has been in great form, but the, the stats, the numbers really aren't there. The the you know he the positioning is there. So tactically, he's he's been he's still on that right side, but he comes in at that he's been at the nine a lot as well as as Antonio drops. So tactically, I think I think it's there for him. Um, but I I just think there are other more upside picks that are, you know, for example, playing at home, that the game 
means a little more. Um, so yeah, no, I'm just, I don't know. Here we have one. Uh, no, we already answered that question. Just going through. I'm trying to get, you know, I'm, I'm looking for uh, Kevin Rose. Saffer, when, when he came in, he had some questions. I think it had to do with Coutinho, so I'm just I'm just looking for those questions uh, from Kevin. And I think th those will probably be the last ones. If you have any other ones, start dropping them in there while I look for... Yeah, he asked whether it was Coutinho to mount and Watkins to Tony for minus four. Coutinho to mount and Watkins to Tony for minus four. Huh. Watkins to Tony, yes. But, you know, the Coutinho replacement can be a lot more ambitious. I agree. I, I think... I think I would go the other way. I, I, again, I would, I would maybe go cheaper, get in Kepia and then get someone like Maris. Yes, yes, something like that, something like that. If if you can, um, if you can get there, go um, Watkins to Tony and Coutinho. Can you get Tamares from Coutinho there? Maybe, probably. If you go Watkins to Tony, you could probably get Maris, Coutinho to Maris. What Watkins to Tony is uh, one million plus. So Coutinho to Maris is barely there. So I, that's that's probably where I, I would look for more upside than than Mount. I agree. Um, let's see if we have any more questions. Oh, here's an interesting one. Goalkeeper question from Nehal. Play Dubravka over Ramsdale. I I feel that Ramsdale is just a solid six. I think Dubravka can do better than six. It's so weird. He got six against Liverpool without keeping a team sheet. So uh, I feel that, yeah, form is form. Can't deny that. Hmm. I'd play Ramsdale. At home. Statement game. He has not been good in the past several game weeks. He's he's going to want to leave on a different note. I, I think I'd, I'd go with the... Still with the better team and the better goalie. And I think either's fine. Yeah, I, either is fine. I agree. Let's see, uh, looks like that's it for the questions, Lucien. We are at uh, an hour and forty-one minutes, and um, that's pretty good time. Yeah. 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 Thank you for having me. Yeah, um, I want to. Absolute pleasure. It has been a deep dive, our final deep dive of the season. We're gonna miss these chats, my friend. Um, and uh, and hopefully you'll you'll join us again next season, uh, maybe maybe with the lads or get get us all together. Um, so I mean, just for my moves are are likely gonna be um, Salah and Watkins, Tamares and Vardy, uh, Captain Vardy, um, minus four, and then we'll see how the season ends. What are you thinking? Uh, I'm. I, I see Ryan Sessegnon getting a haul. So what I'm going to do is that I'm going to actually let go of my Chelsea players. Wow. And I'm going to pick up the likes of Ryan Sessegnon so that I can afford Harry Kane and Real Mahrez in midfield. Nice. Yeah, that's the plan. Bold, ambitious. I like it. Thanks to everyone in the chat. Nehal, uh, Dredd, uh, Kevin, all of our members. Nice to see you. Please do like, hit subscribe, hit the bell for notifications. Become a member if you if you so desire as well. Um, this is this is our last pod of the regular season. We'll try to do a wrap up one. Um, we'll see if we can schedule that with Mariner and Nima in, in, in the next week or so. And um, 
And yeah, just do stay tuned because we have some big plans over the off season. We we kind of came in strong in last off season. This season has gone well. It was it was been a difficult end of the season for us with personal things, but um, but we have even more developments this off season that we're working on. So want to thank you all. Thank you for your support. Good luck in the final game week, game week 38. May all the haulers end on green green arrows, and uh, may you all net that haul. Thank you so much, Lucien. Thanks so much, Gabe. And yeah, everyone have a good day. <laughs> have a good day indeed.